First Timothy. Yes, three, one through seven. We we have been working our way through the book bur- the book the book of First Timothy, and tonight we're going to continue in that. But before we do that, I want to see if we can recap a little bit. Somebody tell me what we looked at in Timothy, First Timothy, chapter one. Yes, the Bible. Good job. What's that? Your notes were taken. Stay on task. Focus on the truth. Yeah, there we go. Okay. First Timothy chapter one. Paul has left Timothy at this church in, in, in Ephesus, and Paul has, has left him as the pastor. And not long after leaving him, Paul writes him this letter. And in this letter, he addresses a lot of things that are going on in this church. And in the first chapter, he talks about the idea that, that there's some people coming in and they've got false doctrine. And that Timothy's job is to teach what is true from Scripture. And his job is to keep the people in the church on task. So that's what we went through in chapter 1. Chapter 2, give me one word. What did we talk about? Prayer. We did talk about prayer. Yes. What's that? Men are called to lead. Yes. Anybody? Oh, we did talk about that. If you if you remember chapter two, chapter two focused on the idea of public worship. And we looked at how men are called to lead in public worship. There wasn't a lot on that, but that's what scripture says in that chapter. And then we spent two weeks ago, it actually talks about the, the role of women in public worship and what they're called to do and the responsibility their responsibility to how they respond to the authority in the church. And see, two weeks ago, you know, we spent a lot of time on, on the ladies' role in the church and the ladies' role in, in corporate worship. We didn't spend a lot of time on the guys' role. So tonight, guys, it's your turn. We're moving into chapter 3 tonight. And as we look at First Timothy chapter 3, what Scripture does there, what Paul does there, is Paul lays out, what the qualifications are for the male leadership in the church, specifically for the role of the pastor. That's what he's focusing on, and that's what he talks about. And the reason I think this is important, because you guys are probably thinking, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. Well, you know what? Some of you in here probably will be, because some of you have expressed to me that you feel you are called to be a pastor. And if that's the case, then this chapter, these first seven verses, very much apply to your life. Not just that day that you become a pastor, but right now and the man that you are becoming right now. You see, some of you, you may become a pastor and you don't even realize it yet. I can say that because until the age of 29, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was not called to preach. But you know what? Then I started listening to God and I realized I was called to be a pastor. So just because you don't think that's what you're supposed to do now, doesn't mean that's not what God has planned for you down the road. Some of you ladies, you can't be a pastor. Because we're going to look at that tonight when it comes to Scripture. That's not biblical. But when we talk about these qualities, when we talk about what God expects of pastors and what I believe God expects of all men, not just pastors, as we look at some of those, keep in the back of your mind, is this the kind of man I want leading my family? Yeah, you may not be married to a pastor, but Lord willing, you're going to be married to a man that has a relationship with God. And if God has called all men to seek after these qualities and to try and be Christ-like, then these are the qualities that I would propose to you you ought to be looking for in that guy that you want to lead you 
and lead your kids one day. So this chapter has a lot of stuff for every single one of us. So pay attention because we're going to go through a lot of stuff tonight because Paul lays out a lot of stuff for Timothy, especially in the first couple verses. So let's just jump right into it. As we look at the first verse here, this kind of breaks down into several different areas. We've got the pastor or the man's personal qualities. We've got his, his leadership qualities. And then we've got his, um, his family qualities is the way these verses break down. So we're going to start with his personal qualities. What is this man supposed to be like? What, are, what is his character supposed to be like the way, Timothy, or the way Paul lays it out to Timothy? So in verse 1 there, Paul says, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now let's just stop there for a second. Paul starts this verse off by saying, the saying is trustworthy. If you read through Paul's letters, you'll see that he uses that phrase five different times. Where he says, this saying is trustworthy, or this is a trustworthy saying. This phrase, when you look at the actual, the, the original Greek, and look at the way it's translated... This is very similar to when you see Jesus in the New Testament saying, verily, verily, or truly, truly, which is basically Jesus saying, hey, you need to pay attention to this because this is incredibly important. That's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying right here, this is incredibly important. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He's saying, guys, pay attention because this is an extremely important basic principle. That if you've got a man and he wants to be a preacher, that's a noble thing. Now, we don't use that word too much anymore. When I hear the word noble, I get an image in my mind of a knight in armor fighting for a kingdom. And you see, we saw that word or we hear that word a lot in that frame of context because the knight is fighting for something more than himself. He's fighting for his king. He's fighting for his kingdom. He's fighting for the people who can't otherwise go out and protect themselves. But you see, that's kind of the imagery that, that Paul is bringing up when he uses this word. Is that when you're called to preach, when you're called to be a pastor, you're not doing it just for yourself. You're doing it for more than yourself. That's the whole idea that we talked about a couple weeks ago about loving God and loving others. When you've got a man that's called to preach, he's called to more than just what it is for him. And that's why he's saying that this is a noble task. This is a noble task opportunity for him to do what God has called him to do. Now, just to give you an idea, if you read through Scripture, you actually see three different terms in reference to being a pastor. One of them is this. It's, it's the word pastor. When you see the word pastor in Scripture, this places the emphasis on the responsibility of the leadership in the church to be the pastor. To shepherd the people, Jesus gives us that imagery all the time, that he is the shepherd and we are the flock. The pastor is the one who leads the flock, the one who leads the people, helps them understand scripture, helps them understand what God is saying through that into their lives. But you also see the term bishop. Bishop emphasizes the fact that the leadership is charged with overseeing the local church. Not only is the pastor called to preach and to shepherd the people, but he also has a calling to oversee what's going on in the church, the workings of the church, the way the church reaches out to the community. You see, you've got a couple different terms there. You also see the term elder or overseer used in there. Now, that implies that you've got some kind of maturity. When we think of the word elder, we think of older people. 
You see, when you go through Scripture and you see that, you get that implication that it's talking about someone who's got maturity, someone who's got experience. And what Paul does is Paul takes all of these different references that you see throughout Scripture to those different positions because those different positions are really the same thing. And he pulls all of those qualifications together in one place. Then he says, this is the job of a pastor. This is what he's called to do. So that's what we're going to look at, starting in verse 2. It says right there in verse 2, it says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? Do you know what? Let's look at each one of those. Let's spend just a minute on each one of those and really look at what those mean and what God has called pastors to be. But what I believe, not only pastors, but every guy in this room, as one day someone who will lead a family, as one day someone who may be a small group leader or a teacher or a deacon or a businessman, God has called us all to seek after those qualities as guys. Ladies, that's the kind of man you want. Not the first guy that comes along and says, well, you're beautiful. No, but the guy that really expresses these qualities because these are the qualities God has called us to as guys, as men. So let's look at the first one. It says above reproach. This literally means to take a hold of. It means there should be nothing in your life as a guy that Satan can get a hold of. That a world that is watching you because you say you believe in God can get a hold of and pull you down and destroy the ministry that God has called you to do. There shouldn't be anything there. You see, godly leaders and godly men, we must strive to be above reproach for a couple reasons. Let me tell you what those are. Number one is because as a leader or as a pastor, you're a special target of Satan. Think about that. If you're leading a family... Even if you're not a pastor, if you're a husband, if you're a father, and you're leading a family, and Satan can pull you down, he can affect your entire family. Because you're the head of that family. You're the head of that, of that group. It makes you a special target. It, makes you, it, it puts a target on your back because Satan, if he can get you, he's got a chance of getting your entire family. That's why you've got to be careful. That's why you've got to be above reproach. Second reason is... Your fall, your mistakes, has a great potential for the harm to the cause of Christ. If, if God can take down a man who is leading his family and therefore take down that family, well, what builds up the church? It's the family. One family's problems can become everybody's problem, can wreak havoc on a church. So it becomes a broader issue than just, oh, I've got this one little problem that I need to deal with and nobody knows about. But you see, guys, you're also a special target because you, as the one who is called to lead, as the one who is called to have more accountability in that area, if you don't step up and lead, you're not fulfilling your God-given responsibility. You see, God has called each one of us to step up and lead. We don't always do it the way we should. We talked about that two weeks ago. I'm a preacher. I don't always do it the way I should. But that's what God's called us to do. And he tells us that we're supposed to do that because we are to be above reproach. That means steering clear of anything that could call our character or our faith into question. And that can be so hard sometimes. 
It can be. We see people all the time and they say, you know what, I just I messed up one time. I had one little slip, but that one little slip got bigger and bigger and bigger and it's wrecked their entire life because they didn't remain above reproach. They didn't stay away from the little things, and then the little things grow, and it becomes even harder. I mean, guys you've seen in the news in the last couple of years, guys like Tiger Woods or Joe Paterno or uh, what's the guy? General Petraeus, Tiger Woods. I mean, all those guys, General Petraeus. He was like the commanding officer in the Middle East for the United States Army, and he had an affair. Do you know what? Every one of these guys had what we might call a lapse in judgment. But you know what? Every single one of those mistakes have had incredibly far-reaching ramifications because they didn't make the choice to stay away from those things and stay above reproach. Guys, that means you have to be on guard in every area of your life for where Satan may attack you. That means you need to have other guys in your life that you will let hold you accountable and ask you the questions and tell you in love that you're being an idiot and you need to stop what you're doing. That's what we've got to do to protect ourselves. Ladies, you can help the guys do that by the way that you interact with them. Help them remain above reproach. Let's look at the next one. It says the husband of one wife. There is not much room for debate on that one. That's what it says. Husband and one wife. Now, this does answer the question because I've had people ask me, well, can't women be pastors? That pretty much says no. You can't be the husband of one wife and be a woman because then you're the wife of one wife and that really, really doesn't work according to Scripture. That's what, that's what it says. You can't be a female and be a husband. So, no, women, you can't be pastors. I'm sorry. That's what Scripture says. But you know what? Beyond that, Beyond that, there's actually several interpretations of this phrase. When it says the husband of one wife, one of the things that it could be saying is that it could be excluding people who are not married from being pastors. It's possible. Now, I, I have known guys that are pastors that aren't married, so it's possible to happen. This could also be excluding people who are married to more than one wife. For instance, polygamists. If you don't know what that is, that means men who are married to more than one woman at one time, which is against the law. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the, from what I understand, the official view of the Mormon church is that they do not approve of polygamy. Now, that has been practiced in the Mormon church in the past. That's just my understanding of it. But Scripture says the husband of one wife. One more question, Adia, and then we'll keep going. Hmm? And you know what? That's what we talked about two weeks ago, isn't it? When the men do not step up and don't take the leadership role that God has called them to, yes, women will step up and women will fill that role. And they can do it, and they can do a great job of it. I told you guys in this very room, when it comes to teaching, my wife, I believe, is a much more gifted teacher than I am. But you know what? The role that God has given us calls the men to be the pastors. Women will step in, and they will fill that role. Every mission trip I've ever been on, there's been a woman pastor in the church because men don't step up and fulfill that role. 
And that's when we step outside of God's design. Can God still use that? Absolutely. God can do anything he wants to do, but that's not God's design for it. But it goes on. It says the husband of one wife. It could even be talking about the fact that, that if you've been married and divorced and remarried, it could be excluding men who are in that situation from being pastors. You see, Scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't give us any more definition beyond that husband of one wife. So there's a lot of different interpretations of that. Now, traditionally, our view is that, okay, the husband of one wife means you've been married to one woman, period. No divorce, no remarriage, none of that. You've been married to one woman. But you know what? When you, when you look at this, what this is talking about is this is saying that you are a one-woman man. You are devoted in mind and body to your wife, period. You know what that means, guys? If you're called to be a pastor... You are devoted to your wife, mind and body, period. If you are not called to be a pastor, but you are called to lead your family, you are devoted to your wife, mind and body, period. Now, even if you haven't met her yet, you are devoted to whoever that woman's going to be by the way that you carry yourself, by the words that you say, by the thoughts that you think. It's a devotion to that one woman, no matter what. Yes. Scripture doesn't answer that question. Give you an example. My dad. My dad and my mom divorced when I was young. Very young. My dad remarried. My first stepmom was killed in a car accident. My dad married again. And they've been married for 25 years now, approximately. Is it unbiblical? Scripture doesn't tell me that. Now, do I have a mom because of it? A stepmom that I love very much? Absolutely. So I don't know what the answer to that is. But when we're talking about pastors and leadership, it says husband of one wife. That could be one wife at a time, depending on the situation. That could be one wife for your entire life. Scripture doesn't give us that specific, clear answer. We just have to know that if you're married or if you're going to be married, it is complete devotion to that one wife, period. That's what it talks about. Let's keep going to the next one. This says... Sober-minded. Being sober-minded means that you are focused and serious to the task that God has given you. That means that you know what God has called you to do, and when it comes time to do it, you are on task and you are focused and you are going to make sure that job gets done. As a pastor, that involves a lot of stuff. The preaching, the teaching, the counseling, the events, the different things that we do. Now, that doesn't give you a pass to walk around with a scowl on your face all the time and say, I've got work to do. I've got to get this done. This is so important. No. Have fun. Enjoy what you do. As a dad, as a father, son, you need to do the right stuff. I've got to go out and earn money. You don't have to be serious all the time. But when it comes time to get the job done, you're focused on it. And you're determined to get that job done. And you will make sure it happens because you're taking care of your family, because you're working diligently, because you're providing for them. But by all means, have fun doing it. Okay? Sober-minded. Next one, self-controlled. Guys, pretty easy. Control yourselves. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I like this verse in 1 Corinthians 9. Mr. Billy, this is not in there. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run? 
but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself, my myself should be disqualified. Guys, that saying is men, as husbands, as fathers, as leaders, you need to control yourself. That doesn't mean you run after every pretty girl that you see. You control yourself. That doesn't mean you do every idiotic dare that your buddies put you up to. You control yourself. That means the things that you look at, the things that you say, the things that you think. You discipline yourself. Be self-controlled. And you'll stay out of a lot of trouble. Practice self-control. Let's look at the next one. Respectable. Now, the things that we've talked about up until this point, most of them are what help you be respectable. When people look at you and see that you are self-controlled, that you are sober-minded, that you are some of these things, you look respectable, that you're above reproach. You know, two weeks ago, ladies, we talked about the way you dress and the way you carry yourselves. Guys, this applies to you, too, when it comes to being respectable. It means every time you leave the house, don't have on your basketball short and your cut-off sleeve shirt and your rattiest shoes and your hat sideways or backwards. That doesn't mean you can't wear it like that all the time. That doesn't mean, hey, that doesn't mean you can't wear it like that. Yeah, I called some of you out right there, didn't I? But you know what? There's going to be times when that's not appropriate. And just because that's what you want to wear and just because that feels good and you don't care what anybody thinks, guess what? It matters what other people think when it comes to your reputation and whether or not you are respectable. But see, Scripture says that we're supposed to be respectable. That means we don't always get to react to people the ways we want to react to people. When somebody smarts off to you and your first instinct is to haul back and just punch them in the face, you can't. Do that. You have to be respectable and control yourself and be above reproach. It means, it means we have to do the things that deserve respect in order to be respectable. Let's look at the next one. Hospitable. This means you're nice to people. You don't mind being around people. First uh, Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Guys, this is, this is being welcoming to people. Think about it this way. In the context of being a pastor, if you've got a pastor that doesn't like to be around people and always has his door shut and doesn't want anybody to come in and bother him, how welcoming is that pastor going to be to the people that come and visit the church? Not very See, that applies to us as men, even if we're not called to be pastors. We're called to be hospitable. We're called to be open, to be willing to spend time with people. Because remember that whole thing about love God, love others? If you're not hospitable, then you're not really loving others. See, that's what, that's what it says we're supposed to be. We're supposed to make others feel welcome. That means when people visit our church or visit this room on a Wednesday night, guys... Welcome them. Be hospitable. Tanner did it tonight. Two young ladies from the middle school walked up here to buy something, and Tanner caught them when they came in and started talking to them. 
Now, I'm not, hey, 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 I'm not going to ask the reason he was talking to him. There, there, there are almost, there are approximately 30 of you in this room. One person stopped and said something to him. One. We've got visitors in here tonight. How many of you have talked to our guests that are in here tonight? Anybody? There's a couple of Guys, hey, this is what I'm talking about. Be hospitable. When you see a face you don't recognize or somebody you haven't talked to and you don't even know who they are, you see a name on a list and say, hey, who's that? Introduce yourself to people. Be hospitable. Talk to them. Welcome them. That's what we're called to do. Guys, ladies too, but right now we're talking about the guys. Go out of your way to be hospitable. The next one says, able to teach. There are many people that love to teach. The sad thing is there are not many people that are good at teaching and are able to teaching. You can put me in that lot if you want to. But you know what? On the other hand, there's some that are. That's why I believe you guys have some of the best Sunday morning small group leaders anywhere. Because you've got some people who are able to teach and who do a great job of it. But this says right here, when it comes to pastors, it says they need to be able to teach. Should not only like to teach, but be able to teach. And it's in two areas. And guys, even if you don't become a pastor, guess what? There's going to be times where you need to be able to teach. Your small group leaders on Sunday morning, they're not pastors. They have other jobs that they do to support their families. And yet they're still teaching in the church. You see, pastors, we're called to teach in the church, but so are other men. It says that in a 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, what, what I know as a pastor, what I know as a preacher, I've got to be able to turn around and teach that to other guys, other men in the church, so they can turn around and do the same thing in the church. But you see, it's not just in the church. We're also called to be able to teach in our home, in our family. Even if you never teach a lesson in a church, you will have a family that you'll need to be able to teach. It says that in Deuteronomy 6, 5, and 7, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You see, guys, we're called to be able to teach Scripture, which means we need to know Scripture. That means we have to spend time in Scripture so that we can do that. Now, again... Do we always do a great job of it? No, there's some Wednesdays I walk out of here feeling like I stunk up the place in the way I preached. But you know what? That gives me the opportunity to get better. And that's what God calls us to do so that we're able to teach when we have the opportunity. The next one he says, not a drunkard. <laughs> Drinking is probably one of the most debated things when it comes to youth ministry. Because typically every teenager wants to know, does the Bible say it's okay to drink? Does the Bible say it's wrong to drink? No, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink. Now, 
you got two factors working against you, though. First of all, ain't a one of you 21, so you're not supposed to be. But second of all, whether it's wrong or whether it's right, 1 Thessalonians 5.22 tells us that we are to abstain from every evil. And you can't tell me you can mess around with alcohol and stay away from all the evils that are involved with it. Because it's not possible. Because you never know where your line is until you cross that line. You never know what you can handle until you figured out what you can't handle. So the idea is to stay away from it altogether. Don't even put yourself in the situation. That's why it talks about not being a drunkard. Don't even find out. Just stay away from it. Keep going. Not violent, but gentle. I like the way the King's James Version says this. It says, no striker. It says, you need to be a man, a pastor, who's not a striker. This talks about a guy who is walking around looking to settle every problem he has with his fists. And some of you are like, yeah. But it says, not violent, but gentle. The godly leader... The godly man, the godly pastor, is not violent. You're not walking around looking to settle everything with your fists and to punch out the first person that crosses your path because you don't like the way they dressed that morning. We're supposed to be gentle in the way that we speak, in the way that we act. Think about it in your family. Think about it when you have kids. If you're violent, I can turn south real quick. When you've got little kids, you've got to be gentle. Man, my boys, I can be a little bit rougher with my boys. But you know what? They're still kids. And I can't wrestle with my 8-year-old son the way I can wrestle with my 39-year-old brother. And we do still wrestle on occasion. Hey, what happens? Guys, remember this, because one day you may have a daughter. You think you may have to be gentle with a boy. Good night, it's different with a girl. We were in our house one day, and the boys were upstairs. Have I told you the story? And I yelled across the house just to get the boys' attention, to get them to come downstairs. I wasn't mad, I wasn't angry, I just called loudly. And Michaela was on the floor next to me. And as soon as I raise my voice, she just stops. And that little lip comes out, and she just starts bawling. Because I raised my voice and I looked at Kathleen, I said, you have got to be kidding me. And I realized right then, okay, I've got to be gentle. I've got to treat her differently even than I treat my boys. But because it's my child, I've got to be gentle. We're called to be that way with everybody, guys. As a pastor, you walk in my office, even when I want to look at you and you're telling me all your problems and I just want to look at you and say, stop being stupid, just stop it. You're probably not going to come back to me if I say that, are you? No, you're stupid everywhere else. You tell me about it in my office. That's the difference. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. It says we're supposed to be gentle, guys. Let's look at the next one. Not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. This goes along with not being violent. The word, the original Greek word that we're actually translating here is, is if I say it right, amachos. Or makos. This is the word we get our term macho from. Don't sing macho, man, please. Don't do that. 
<laughs> I was waiting on that. When we think of somebody being macho, they're trying to prove themselves. You know, I'm being bad. I'm going to hurt somebody. Scripture says, don't do that. Don't be that guy that thinks you're bigger and badder than everybody else and you're going to prove it just by running over people. That's not what we're called to do. I hope you all are paying attention to this, guys, because this is what God's called you to. Ladies, my prayer is this is the kind of guy you're looking for that's going to lead your family and it's going to lead you and, Lord willing, lead in some area in the church. This is important stuff. The next one says, not a lover of money. <laughs> Let me tell you this. There are some pastors that get paid very little. There are some pastors that get paid a lot, depending on the church they work at. But Scripture says as a pastor, whether you get paid a little bit or paid a lot, the money shouldn't be your focus. The money shouldn't be the reason you do what you do. As a husband, as a father, guys that may not be pastors, the money shouldn't be your focus. Yes, Scripture tells you to work hard, to be diligent, to take care of your family, to provide for your family. There is nothing wrong with making money. The problem is when that becomes your driving force, when you have to have more money, when you need more money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Many pains, as you might want to say it. Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Don't let money be a driving force in your life. Work hard and provide for your family. Do what God has called you to do. But please don't let that be the driving force. Because Scripture tells us you can't follow that and follow God. It doesn't work. You're going to pick a path. And if you pick the money, you're going to lose your way with God. Not a lover of money. Now, we're moving into the next couple of verses. We've talked about the personal qualities of a pastor and the personal qualities of a man. Now let's talk about the family qualities. Let's talk about what that looks like, starting in verse 4. It says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Guys, you are called to lead in your home. You are the head of the house. That's the way that Scripture describes it. It talks about how you are the leader in the home the way Christ is the head of the church. It is your job to lead there. What that means is ultimately when decisions are made for your family, you are the one responsible. That doesn't mean you just make all the decisions and you never listen to your wife. Because I can tell you right now, God gives us wives in our lives because women have wisdom and, and insight that we would it would never cross our mind because we're guys and there's just certain ways and certain things we don't think. Listen to your wife. Take her input. Value her opinion. But at the end of the day, the responsibility falls on you. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. That may not be the way it is in every household. But that's the way Scripture talks about it. It says he must manage his household well. Know what's going on in your home. As a pastor, if you're a pastor, 
You're called to lead on two fronts is what it says there. That's why it says he must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? As a pastor, if you can't manage your household, you're going to have a hard time managing the church. The home is a training ground for what God has called you to do in the church. Same holds true if you're not a pastor. Home is supposed to come first. And believe me, it's real easy to get those two flip-flopped and think church, work, got to get it done, got to make my boss happy, got to make my, my, other, my fellow workers happy, got to do that, got to do, got to do that, and then you start dropping the ball at home. It's very easy to do that. In fact, a lot of times society will tell you that's the way it needs to be. Work first, then family. That's not what scripture says. Guys, we are called to lead at home. That's what he says. And the last one, we'll jump over to verse 6. We've talked about his personal qualities. We've talked about your family qualities. Let's talk about leadership qualities. Verse 6 says, he must, be, he must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. When you're talking about a pastor, basically that means you don't want somebody who has just become a Christian a month ago to be the pastor of the church. Because you run into a problem there. You get somebody who very quickly, that, that phrase where it says being puffed up, that means filled with smoke or full of hot air. That means they get a lot of pride real quick. Hey, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm, I'm a brand new Christian and I know all this stuff and I've got all these people listening to me. And it says when that happens, they can fall into the condemnation of the devil. In other words, a leadership position needs to go to somebody that's had experience Somebody that's had time to mature. Somebody that's got a little bit of wisdom. Not somebody that just jumped on the scene and hasn't known what they're doing for the last month. Guys, you're called to lead. That means the wisdom, the experience that you will have when that time comes as a husband and as a father, it comes now. In the things that you do, in the leadership roles that you take. Some of you guys in here, you're on the SALT team. And you're doing some things. You're taking some leadership roles. Or you've come to me with ideas and, and I've said, hey, if you can make it work, we'll make it work. And you've done those things. That's what it's talking about. Take the time now to invest and learn what it means to lead. Spend time around older men, around older guys that have some of those experiences and can teach you. So that when that time comes and it's time for you to step into a leadership role, you know what to do. The church that we used to go to in Jacksonville, I was asked to be a deacon there when I was 27, I think is how old I was when we, when we were there, because I was there, what's that, at the oldest, might have been 26, and I remember the pastor telling me I was the youngest deacon he ever, and he'd been there 20 years, had ever remember having at the church, but you know what, I knew what a deacon was supposed to do, because I had grown up, and my grandfather was a deacon, and my dad was a deacon, and I had watched them, and I had learned the things that they did. So when I got asked to be a deacon, I already had some experience. Now, there were things I didn't know and things I had to learn. But you know what? I was ahead of the game. That's what God's calling us to do, guys. Those areas where you think you might lead one day, those areas, those opportunities that you might want, start gaining experience in them now so that when the time comes and you're asked to take that leadership role or you seek that leadership role, you're ready for it. And you know what God's got for you. And you can lead the people the way God has called you to lead them. 
It goes on and says in verse 7, Moreover, he must be well thought of by others or by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Paul here expects every believer's life to be a positive testimony to a world that is watching every single move of someone that claims to be a Christian. Because they are. The world is watching you. If you claim to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, people are watching you. And your life, your testimony should speak to what you say you believe. That's why it says, must be well thought of by outsiders. It says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Guys, the girl, the girls, the world is watching every one of you. And I'm talking guys and girls here. The world is watching us. The world is watching the church. The world is watching its pastors. And the world is looking for when you mess up. That's why it says that we have to be above reproach. We have to be respectable. We've got to carry ourselves in such a way that what they see, yeah, they might see some of our mistakes, but more importantly, they see more of Christ in us than they see our mistakes. And that when we do make mistakes, when we do fall down and mess up, that we are gracious with each other and pick each other back up and move each other closer to God again. That's what he's saying here. That's why this is so important. As a pastor, I have to remember that everything I say and do has ramifications. Everything. If I stand up here on this stage and I say, hey, we're having a keg party at my house this weekend. You know what? I'm probably going to get in trouble for that, aren't I? Even if I'm joking, I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. Everything we do and say, I could make a joke, just an offhanded comment to one of you, and your parents would probably get upset with me depending on what I say. And you know what? If that happens, then word gets out. And other parents hear about it. And all of a sudden, everything that I feel like I'm called to do as a youth pastor here at North Florida Baptist Church is called into question. And everything is messed up. But you see, that holds true for every single one of us, especially you guys as the ones that are called to be leaders. What you do, what you say, the way you act, the way you talk to people, it's got to be above reproach. It's got to be respectable. You've got to show people that what you live out is what you say you believe. Because, that girl, because the world is watching. And the world wants to see if you are for real. Now see, this is, this is a lot of stuff. This is a lot of stuff that Paul has laid out here for Timothy. But you know what? He's laid it all out here because every single bit of this is so important. And as I read through that list, all I could think is, okay, God... I can't do that. I can't be that person. How am I supposed to, to do all of those things that Paul has got listed out here 24-7 at church, at home, wherever else I go? How can I do that? And the simple answer is, I can't. It's not possible for me to do it. But it is possible for God to do it. God working in my life, God working in your life, can make us the men and the leaders that he has called us to be. 
God working in your life, ladies, can make you the women that he has called you to be. So the question is, is this what you'll strive for? Because yes, every one of us will fall. Every one of us will make mistakes. Every one of us will have problems in our life. But you have to determine, is this the kind of person you're going to strive to be? Or are you just going to say, oh, well, you know what? I messed up again. Just throw it all out the window. Guys, God has called us to lead. And it is a hard, sometimes lonely position to lead. But that's the responsibility he's given us. Ladies, God has called you to lead in some areas as well. God has also called you to follow in some areas. And that can be very lonely and very hard sometimes. The question is, are you willing to do what God has called you to do, even when it's hard? It's my challenge to you tonight. As you walk out of here, will you strive for these things? Will you strive to be the man and the woman God has called you to be, even when it's hard? Because God wants to work in your life. And as you strive for these things, you'll see him work. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you. God, you, uh, you've called each one of us to be men and women after your own heart. And God, that can seem very hard sometimes. But at the same time, God, you've also assured us that everything, everything is possible with you. And God, I pray tonight that as, as we get up to sing... God, if there's anybody in here tonight and and you're 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 struggling with some of these things and you just want somebody to pray for you. I want to ask you to come to the back of the room and I'll pray for you. I'll pray with you. Or come up come off off to the side and pray with somebody else in this room. But ask God to give you the strength to be the man and the woman he's called you to be tonight. Guys, ask God to help you step up and be the leader. He's called you to be tonight. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.